tell you about Adolf Sax, who is known as the inventor of a very famous musical instrument, the saxophone, uh, an instrument I'm sure you've not only heard of, but have also heard. Um, Sax had a very interesting life, inventing uh, not just the saxophone, actually, a, a, a couple of other instruments as well. Um, but on top of his career as an inventor and as a musician, this bloke also had no fewer than eight near-fatal accidents while he was a child. Someone really didn't want the saxophone invented, it seems. Anyway, we'll get across all that, but uh, before that, thanks go out to Lou Hales-Greer, the alert listener who got in touch suggesting I read about the story of Adolf Sachs. Thanks very much, Lou. Very glad you put me onto this terrific tale because I'd never come across it before. I knew that a bloke named something Sax had invented the saxophone. I didn't realise his life was uh, quite as turbulent as uh, uh, as it ended up being. So it'll be good to get across it. We're going to start by talking about what he's most famous for, the invention of the saxophone. And then after that, we'll get into all the, uh, all the brushes with death. Uh, don't you worry. So <clears throat> Sax was born on the 6th of November, 1814, in what is today Belgium. Uh, and he was born... As Antoine Joseph Sachs, uh, but for reasons that no one really seems able to properly explain, he became known instead as Adolf. Don't know what's going on there. Anyway, both of his parents, they were involved in the design of musical instruments, uh, not so much inventing, but more making improvements to various different instruments, things like the French horn. Um, so obviously the apple didn't fall too far from the tree because before long, Sachs was doing the same thing as his parents. He was tinkering with instrument designs. By the age of just 15, he's working on improvements to the flute and the clarinet, uh, while also honing his craft as a uh, as a musical performer on these instruments and others at the Royal Conservatory of Brussels as well. But by the time he becomes an adult, he's not just changing and improving the designs of existing instruments. He also began to work on all new instruments as well. Sachs moved from Brussels to Paris in 1842, and uh, to begin with, a lot of his work while there revolved around um, the improvement of valved bugles. Um, He sort of took some rudimentary prototypes that had been put forth by other inventors um, and improved them enormously. His, His designs were much better than his competitors, and technically, he didn't necessarily invent these these valve bugles from scratch, but he's still credited with in, in making them what they are today. He revolutionised this instrument and it bears his name, the sax horn. Uh, in Sax's time, these instruments were very popular indeed. They immediately found their way into brass bands and military marching bands, especially common in the US around the time of the Civil War. They never really caught on in, in orchestras or in classical music or anything like that. And um, today you don't really see them all that much. But all the same, um, the, the the successful launch of this, I guess, new instrument, it's new enough. Uh, it, it's different enough from, from the instruments that went before it. Um, these sax horns, right, they clearly establish sax's skill as an instrument maker. Very clearly put on display with these sax horns. Uh, They're very well designed. Their valve systems set a new standard in instrument making. However, these sax horns, right, they're brass instruments. And sax is, as you may know, he is most famous for his invention of not a brass instrument, but a woodwind instrument in the saxophone, despite saxophones being, you know, generally made of brass. It's a very very confusing distinction, um, but the saxophone, despite being an instrument that is made of brass and looks like a brass instrument. It's actually counted amongst the woodwind instruments with the flutes and the clarinets and the oboes and whatever else um, because it uses a wooden reed in its mouthpiece to create sound like a clarinet does. 
Um, and this is distinct from a brass instrument, which uh, uses – you make sound in a brass instrument by – Essentially, just puckering your lips and blowing a raspberry in, into the mouthpiece. This is how you make, you know, a trumpet or a tuba or a, or a trombone. This is how they make sound. So, instruments are generally classified by how they make sound, not by what they're made of or what they look like. So, the flute, for instance, um, is considered a woodwind instrument, despite the fact that most flutes these days aren't made of wood. They're made of silver-plated nickel. Um, and uh, the, where, the, where these definitions really get ridiculous is with the piano, because the piano, believe it or not, is in the same musical instrument family as the drums. It is a percussion instrument because it makes sound by hitting strings with small hammers, like how you hit a drum or a cymbal with a stick. So the piano belongs, well, there are people who make the argument that belongs with the string instruments because it does have strings inside it. But broadly speaking, I think the the general consensus is pianos, yep, basically basically they're drums. Yeah, anyway. Bolstered by the enthusiastic reception that uh, this new brass instrument, the sax horn, received, sax continued to work on uh, on various projects with musical instruments. But there was one that that absorbed a lot of his attention, and one that he uh, he approached with a very specific goal in mind. Right, and obviously the result of this was the saxophone. But I want to talk to you about how it came about. How, in, in 1846, when he patented this new invention, he met this, uh, this very specific goal that he'd set for himself in inventing the saxophone. Sax was looking for a way to hybridise a woodwind and a brass instrument to make up for the perceived shortfalls of each family. Woodwind instruments um, generally have very complex mechanisms that allow the the people who play them to be very quick and agile when switching between notes, right? Woodwind instruments can, broadly speaking, play quick, intricate passages of music with with great precision. They're very agile, very agile instruments. Brass instruments, on the other hand, particularly back then when when their designs weren't as sophisticated or as as optimised as they are today, brass instruments didn't have the same agility and I think it's fair to say still can't really match woodwind instruments for speed and and dexterous convoluted music, right? And maybe there'll be brass instrumentalists in my emails telling me just how wrong I am about this. And sure, fine, okay. I do come from the ignorant string family with my classical music education, so I don't know what I'm talking about here. But I think the, the broad thrust of what I'm talking about here makes sense. Generally, you can be a lot quicker when it comes to you know, again, deft, fast, intricate uh, pieces of music on woodwind instruments. However, brass instruments, right, they have a different strength altogether. They are loud. They're really, really loud. I mean, think about it, right? You can blast someone away with a trumpet or a trombone. Good luck getting that same sort of volume out of a flute or an oboe. You you, you are absolutely not going to be able to have the same sort of impact with uh, with a woodwind instrument. So, This is what Sax was trying to do. He was trying to split the difference with the saxophone and he managed it. The the design of the saxophone allows it to play very technically complex woodwind pieces while also being able to project with the sound and the volume of a brass instrument. And furthermore, I should mention, the saxophone isn't just one instrument. It's a whole subfamily of them. There are nine altogether these days, all of them pitched differently from little tiny ones that are high and squeaky to great big deep and bassy ones that you have to put a, put on a stand on the floor in order to play them. 
Snacks initially had 14 different designs, quickly halved that down to seven. Uh, while today we have two additional designs, one at each end of the spectrum, the, the tiny Sopranissimo saxophone um, and, of course, the massive sub-contrabass, almost three metres tall it is. But when you imagine a saxophone in your mind, um, when you think of what a quote-unquote normal saxophone is, um, you're probably thinking of an alto or a tenor saxophone. They're the ones that, you know, are most commonly associated with jazz musicians. But at this point, you might be going, whoa, 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 hang on, wait, hold on one second here. All this talk about bloody this saxophone and that saxophone and sopranissimos and subcontrabass and alto, alto and tenor, what are you talking about, mate? This is getting too confusing. Okay, sorry about that. No worries. In case you're not familiar with the saxophone or the many different types of saxophone, in case you have no idea what a saxophone is or what it sounds like, I've got a small sample of what a of a saxophone ensemble here, right? All all different, many many different types of saxophone um, playing a piece of music for you. But at this point, you might go, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on one second, mate, back it up. I don't know what music is. I never listen to it. Such is my devotion to half assed history that I only ever listen to podcasts. So. If you're going to play this thing that you call music, I'm not going to have any idea what's going on. I don't have any understanding or, or frame of reference for a piece of music that, uh, that you might be about to play me. Well, gentle listener, fear not, because I have come prepared for this exact situation, as, as absurdly specific as it may be. If there is a listener out there who, for one, needs... An example of all the different types of saxophone that there are playing in an ensemble. And two, has a musical experience that is only based off of listening to this podcast. My friends, it is my great pleasure to present to you a piece of music that I found after so much digging. It is a magnificent saxophone ensemble known as Sax Stravaganza performing the one piece of music, believe it or not, that half ass history fans are guaranteed to be familiar with. Again, it took some digging to find that one, let me tell you. Anyway. The, uh, the saxophone made its debut in 1846, as I say, and there was a lot of interest in this brand new instrument. Everything from orchestras to marching bands were picking it up, and Sax did pretty well for himself, uh, thanks to this new invention. A decade or so later, he was teaching music at the esteemed Paris Conservatory, uh, focusing, of course, on the saxophone. So it was great for his reputation as uh, not just an inventor, but a, uh, but a musician as well. Um, the instrument underwent a number of design improvements um, in the years after it was released, particularly after Sax's patent on it expired and other people were now allowed to work on it. Um, however, sadly, in the ever snooty world of classical music, it slowly but surely lost uh, lost its its credibility as an instrument. And by the end of the 19th century, it succumbed to... What is perhaps the worst fate a classical instrument can have the misfortune to suffer? It became, horror of horrors, a novelty instrument. However, it remained very popular in marching bands, particularly in the US, but we're in, in, in into the 20th century, of course. It became associated with vaudeville and ragtime and, most famously, jazz in the hands of legends like John Coltrane, Stan Getz, and, of course, Charlie Parker. Thank you. 
Adolf Sax had done something truly incredible with his invention of the saxophone. While, yes, it did become a novelty in orchestral circles, the instrument caught on and never fell into, into obscurity like other less famous instruments like the shawm or, or the crumb horn. Sax did have some legal and consequently financial issues defending his patents on the saxophone and uh, went bankrupt no fewer than three times. And in later years, uh, unfortunately, he didn't end up quite as wealthy as he perhaps would have liked off the back of this invention. Uh, He also got lip cancer, the poor bastard, in the 1850s, but he got through it, as we'll talk about in in just a second. Uh, Sax was a very difficult person to kill. But he finally died on the 7th of February, 1894, in Paris at the age of 79. And he left behind a very important musical legacy that I think can be uh, very succinctly and simply summed up in a way that altogether definitely falls under fair use when it comes to copyright law. Now, I know this isn't um, this isn't how we normally do things because, you know, it's it's not the way that time works. But at this point now, I want to go back and talk about Sax's childhood because... Holy moly, this kid almost died so many times. You are not going to believe it. It's an absolute miracle that he ever made it past being a kid. At the age of three, Sax fell down some stairs. Terrible thing for a toddler to do, potentially very dangerous, but some stairs, you say. Okay, what, he fell down the back steps, hit hit his head on the patio, a bit of a bumped head, he'll be okay. No, no. This kid fell down three flights of stairs and landed on a stone floor and somehow survived. He was bedridden for a week, but after afterwards, he just got up and got on with things like nothing had happened. Got on with what things, I hear you ask? Things like swallowing a big needle. Young kids obviously love to put things into their mouths that they shouldn't, um, but usually it's something that's at least understandable, like, uh, I don't know, a... Uh, delicious looking piece of Lego or the like, this kid throated a long needle and it didn't even touch him. It came out the other end without an issue. How it didn't tear him up from the inside, I will never understand. But he didn't stop there. Obviously, eating this needle gave him a real appetite for things that were extremely dangerous because next up, he drank a bowl of acid, mistaking it for milk, apparently. And no, it wasn't lactic acid, you smartass. It was actual dangerous acid, sulfuric acid or something like that. Then again, I will say, lactic acid can be pretty dangerous. Um, this kid I went to school with, right, Tate, he uh, he was lactose intolerant. And I tell you what, it was extremely dangerous if he had a glass of milk because oh, his farts afterwards were absolutely deadly. Anyway, um, after, uh, after surviving the stairs and the needle and the acid, Sachs then fell onto a burning stove, which sizzled up one side of his body. But again, he escaped alive with nothing worse than scarring up up his side that remained with him his entire life. And, And look, at this point, here's the thing. He's not having the same accidents twice. He's clearly learning from the mistakes that he's making. I just don't know how he's managing to keep finding all new and exciting ways to nearly kill himself. When he was 10, he fell into a river and almost drowned. He was fished out face down in the water, completely unconscious, but he was revived and again lived to tell the tale. And then not long after the drowning thing, he was uh, he was hanging out in his dad's workshop when, I don't know why this was there, but a container of gunpowder exploded, blowing him across the room and badly burning him, but still didn't kill him, nor did falling asleep in a room with recently varnished furniture. The fumes poisoned him and made him very sick, but again, 
it wasn't enough to actually kill the kid. And then finally, one time, he was walking along a street when a roof tile fell off a nearby roof and brained him, sending him into a coma. But he woke up later and was just fine. It makes you think if there were some big dramatic biopic, Sax, the untold story that had, I don't know, for the, for the sake of brevity, just to keep the film moving, you know, a, a montage of, uh, of all of these near-death experiences that he had as a young kid. And uh, look, we, I mean, we really do have to keep the film moving. So let's, let's, let's say that we, um, we speed up all the scenes, you know, just sort of accelerate them a little bit, uh, all, all the scenes in which he had these near-death experiences. I wonder what, hmm... What piece of music could we could we use as the soundtrack to all of these farcical near-death adventures that young Adolf Sachs had? Adolf Sachs shook off every single one of these brushes with death that he had as a kid and then grew up to give the world the saxophone. But given all of these near-death experiences that he had, given the fact that he nearly died so many times as a child, it makes me think of perhaps another explanation for why he went through all the things that he did as a youngster. Maybe a saxophone-hating time traveller went back to the early 19th century in a misguided attempt to stop the instrument from ever being invented, only to find out that you cannot stop the march of time and the saxophone was meant to be in 1846. Or, actually, hang on, if we're talking time travel, maybe instead it was a time traveller who uh, just got a bit mixed up and went back in time to kill the wrong Adolf. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.